Travis Nunn posted the words to that clip on Facebook on August the 12th. That was the day after Robin Williams passed away, and that clip got me to thinking. Robin Williams wrote his verse, didn't he? He wrote his verse. Now, I'm sure somebody could take offense over mentioning Robin Williams as an example kind of thing in the church. Some of his humor was very crude. Some of it was very vulgar. I know I've sat and uh, channel surfed before and landed on him and would stop for a second and then realize which comedy he was doing and flip right off and keep on moving. But he was also the genie in Aladdin. He was Ephigenia Doubtfire. You got to spell that one. It's, it's, it's spelled E-U-P-H-E. That, I guess it's Euphigenia Doubtfire. He was Bob Monroe in RV. Anybody see that movie, RV? Oh, man, my family and I have watched that a thousand times. It's got to be one of the funniest movies on the planet. Robin Williams was a funny man. He was extremely hysterical. His wit and his mind worked so fast that when he was talking, you really didn't want to breathe because you were afraid that you were going to miss something. And yet, he was interviewed on Inside the Actor's Studio by... Robert Lipton, I don't know if you've ever watched that program or not, and Robert Lipton asked him, said, if heaven really exists, what would you like to hear God say when you enter the pearly gates? And he said three or four sentences, but the two that really sort of hit me was, he said, if heaven really exists, that's sort of telling there, if heaven really exists, it would be nice just to know that there is laughter. That would be a good thing. To hear God say, two Jews walked into a bar. I'm sorry to see Robin Williams go. I'm sorry to see him go the way that he went. Lauren Bacall passed this week too, if I remember right. I think that's the right person. As the icons of our age, whatever age we are in, as our icons pass, it drives us to think a little bit of our own mortality and not just our mortality, but what story will we leave behind once we're gone? Or as John, let's see, his name was John Keating, was the character that Williams played in that uh, Dead Poet Society in the clip that you saw. As John Keating said, what will your verse be? How will you be remembered? What will your verse be? Robin Williams' poem is done, complete, finished, closed. We know what his verse is, but your poem is still being written. What will your verse be? The scripture that we read a few moments ago was part of what we're going to talk about this morning from the book of Philippians. In Philippians 4, 1 through 9, Paul talks to the members of the church at Philippi and he's trying to tell them how to leave behind that story. What he's trying to tell them is this is how to be a happy Christian, a, 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 a respected Christian everywhere. This is how to do that. This is how to be a happy Christian. This is how to leave behind a great verse. Philippians 4, 1 through 9 says, Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and my crown, Stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. I entreat Euodia and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, 
Help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel, together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. We're not going to talk about those two verses today except to say this. Even back in the early churches, people disagreed. And you got two women who are having a battle in the church, and they're two important women who have done a lot of good work. And what Paul is looking at them and doing in this verse is saying, listen, get over yourselves. There's work to be done. We've all worked hard together. Get over yourselves. So if you've got a feud with somebody else in the church, Paul might be telling you this morning, get over yourself. We'll preach on that another day. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. What will your verse be? How will people see you? Not just church people. You know, when you, when you pass away and, and people are coming to your funeral, you don't want just the church people to think good of you. You want the whole community to come. You want lots of people to think well of you. What will your verse be in the community? What will your verse be among the people that you work with, among the people that you dwell with each and every day? Will they see you as somebody who was a happy, fulfilled Christian? Is that how they're going to remember you? Now, a lot of times when we start talking about happy Christians, one of the things that we do is we sort of flip over to the idea of the unhappy Christian so we can do a comparison. And we talk about church members who are against everything in the world and they, they seem like they don't want anybody to be happy. They don't smile. They don't laugh. They always have dour faces. I've not seen any of those in this congregation. If you're here, you're hiding pretty well. But I can tell you that I've met a couple in gray. I really have. I've met a couple in gray. I met somebody that, that after the congregation, I've met a lot of new people, as you would expect. I've met an awful lot of new people, and when I meet these new people, generally I will say to them at the end of the, at the, end of the conversation, you know, you ought to come on down and visit us at First Baptist. You ought to come down and see us at First Baptist. Just something, you know, a little invitation to come down and see us at First Baptist. When I got through talking to this person, those words would not come out of my mouth. Now, to show you that I'm not heathen, that I'm truly Christian, my motive a little bit was, I am sure that he would not receive a blessing in this place. I was positive. The things this guy talked about, I'm telling you, you people, he would have run out of here with his hair on fire. It would have been a horrible day. This person will never be accused of being a joy-filled Christian. But that's not what this scripture is talking about. We want to go off on that tangent. We're not, we're not that kind of people. We're a different kind of people. The person this scripture is talking about is someone who wants to be happy, 
who's trying to be happy, that really, really has this desire in their heart to be happy, but they just can't quite get there maybe. You know, there's, there's always something to worry about, always something going wrong. There's always some kind of drama in life that keeps us from being fully happy. This defines a lot of us. And I'm not talking about the kind of depression like Robin Williams had where you truly need to see a professional. If you have that kind of, 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 of depression, there is nothing wrong with going and talking to somebody and dealing with that. That's, that's a godly thing. There are godly people in that business to help you. Go for it. We're not talking about those folks. We're talking about the folks that are just not quite on top of the world. We're not fully happy. We're not fully joyful. All those things that we talk about in church that, that we might even say to our Christian friends that we are. You know, I, yeah, we're happy. Everything's going home great at, at home. Everything's great at work. Life's just wonderful. God's blessing us. But down deep in our heart, we know it's really not exactly that way. We want it to be, but we're not quite there. Paul is speaking to us. And if we're one of those people that are there, he's speaking to you to help you know how to help those around you who aren't quite there yet. And Paul lays this out as methodically as you can find anywhere. He just lays it out very methodically. This is what we want. So what we're going to do is we're going to look at what it looks like to be a joyful person and then how to get there, what Paul says to get there, and then what's finally behind everything at the very end. Three little parts that we're looking at. First is, what does it look like to be a happy Christian? And the first thing that Paul does is he commands us. He doesn't say, this is a good idea or y'all need to work on this. He commands us to rejoice in the Lord always. And then he commands it again. Rejoice in the Lord. He's saying, feel great. Feel happy. Be full of delight. Light up the room with your presence when you come in. Be a joyful person. And that's his command. And you're going, how? He talks about that. But he's, that's what he says for us to do. Not a request. It's his command. Be joyful. He says to rejoice always in the Lord. Now, what does this look like? First thing he says is, let your reasonableness be known to everyone. Reasonableness is just what it sounds like. It means that you know when to hold them, you know when to fold them. You know when to demand your rights, and you know when to let your rights go. You're in a restaurant. You're paid good money. You're sitting at a booth. And in the booth beside you is a husband and a wife and a three-year-old terror of the universe. And you're sitting there thinking to yourself, I've paid good money while this three-year-old terror of the universe is throwing food into the air and he's making all kinds of noises and he's screaming and the parents just don't seem to quite get it that there's other people in this restaurant. Reasonableness says that you start thinking to yourself, you know, unless that kid stabs me in the head with a fork, I don't know what's going on at their house. Something horrible could have just happened in their life. They could be fighting at home, and this is the first time they've been able to get out with each other in forever. Maybe something else happened. Maybe something bad's going on with them. You know what? I'm giving them grace tonight. Unless that kid hurts somebody, we're just going to roll. That's reasonableness. Reasonableness. Putting yourself back just a little bit. Let somebody else have their way for a minute. Another word for it is courtesy. Men, we used to call this chivalry. 
Where we would stand back and let the woman walk in front of us. Where we would open the door for her. Yeah, she can open it for herself. Some women are bigger than we are, you know. They can open their own door. But chivalry says that you take your rights, back up a little bit, and let somebody else go in front of you. Reasonableness. And we act that way with everybody. Everybody. Christian, non-Christian, Jew, Greek, fat, thin, tall, short, doesn't matter. Anybody you run into, you're still a reasonable person with them. You don't change as your location changes. You're always reasonable. Verse 6 says, do not be anxious about anything. Do not be anxious isn't really, doesn't carry the force of what Paul is saying here. What Paul is saying here is, is an imperative. And what he is saying is, quit worrying. Now, in his statement is the assumption that he's talking to people who are worrying. And yet he says right here, quit worrying. And I know that I know that I know that there's a lot of people in here that would love to quit worrying, but it's easier said than done. With all that we hear, all that we see, all that we, we watch on television, the things that we talk about, there's enough to worry about right there. You know, the world's going to come to end at, at any minute. We've got people being treated in the United States for, for Ebola. We've got terrorists all over the world. They're going to get nuclear weapons. They're going to bomb us over here. If we listen to this meteorologist, we're freezing to death. This one, we're going to burn to death. This one, we're going to get blown up, uh, blown away. This one, we're going to get drowned. There's a million things in the world to worry about, and that's before you even get to your family. All to worry about. But a happy Christian isn't worried, isn't worrying. Paul says, quit worrying. Now, let's talk about how to get there. Paul tells us what a joyful Christian is thinking about instead of worrying. What is a joyful Christian thinking about instead of worrying? Paul uses a word here that we forget in the church a lot of times. It's a very in-depth, very in-depth word. The word is think. Look at the end of verse 8 and you hear Paul say, think about these things. Think about these things. We tend to accept what people tell us. Paul says, think about these things. Think means to take into account, evaluate, ponder. Let your mind dwell on. What are you doing when you worry? What are you doing when you worry? When you worry, you're letting your mind dwell on something probably that will never happen. You're letting your mind dwell on a situation that's negative. The world's coming to an end. I'm going to look like an idiot in front of everybody in the whole wide world. I'm going to be embarrassed or they're going to do something or somebody's going to die or I'm looking at all, I'm dwelling on these things. And what Paul is saying here is, wait a minute, to be a joyful Christian, quit dwelling on things that you can't do anything about and start dwelling on these things. He tells us to make sure that the things that you think that you need to think about are things that you really need to be thinking about. Because sometimes we dwell on things that we don't need to be dwelling on. And if we're dwelling on things that we don't need to be dwelling on, we need to put those things away and dwell on the things that we need to be dwelling on. So Paul says, think about these things. Whatever is true, 
Don't need a lot of definition there. But now think about what true means. It doesn't mean reality TV. That ain't true. It don't mean politicians because that ain't true either. And if, and if somebody says to you that Billy Bob said to Mary Joe and they told Tommy Sue and now I'm telling you, chances are that ain't true either. He says, think on whatever is true. Whatever is true, think on these things. Next he says, think, about, think on things that are honorable. Honorable things are actions that win respect. Those are things that you do that when you get through doing those things, people respect you for the things that you've done. And not just to church members. Paul is saying to be honorable to everybody. So you can't just smile at the people in the church and frown at everybody in the world. Paul is telling you to do honorable things in the sight of everybody. Everywhere you go. He says whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just. Just means that you give God and men their due. It means that you settle all of your debts. That you fulfill all of your responsibilities above and beyond what is required. That you do what is just. Whatever is pure. <clears throat> pure is a broad word. It carries a sexual meaning that you're chaste, that you're sexually pure, but it also involves having pure motives and pure actions. Have you ever had anybody do something that really was a boneheaded thing to do, but they did it for the right reason? And you gave them some grace? That's what they're talking about. They're doing, do it from the pure, a pure motive. Think about pure motives. Whatever is lovely. This word sort of flipped me out just a little bit. Because when he talks about lovely here, he's talking about things that elicit admiration and affection from everybody. Things that are lovely. Things like we're going to have a baby dedication next week. And when we put the pictures of those babies up on the screen and you see those little babies in front, about 99% of you are going to go, ooh and ah. The other 1% will be asleep, but we'll nudge you and wake you up. <laughs> lovely. Things that are lovely. Gentlemen talk about deer hunting and enjoying the nature that's around them. You know what? That's a lovely thing. The oceans, when you go to the beach and you have that moment of awe as you look, that's lovely. Or you hear a piece of music. Or you see a work of art. Or you hear a poem that touches your heart. He's not talking about just Christian things. He's talking about life. Because those things that are lovely, who created those? Lucifer? Not in my Bible. He says, whatever is lovely, think on those things. Whatever is commendable. The word commendable means those things that show kindness and impress people. And that, that includes the idea of not deliberately giving offense. So if you're the person that says, well, that's just me and they're just going to have to get over it, you need some commendable work. If you're the person that offends people because sometimes you just get a kick out of it, I know people like that because I had a boss one time that told me that she enjoyed just getting a rise out of people every now and then. That is not commendable. Commendable means that you don't act that way. Paul says if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. 
If there's anything that, that, that's worthy of you looking at and going, that is a wonderful thing. Look what so-and-so has done. Look what good has happened. Look at anything that's worthy of praise. Think about these things. And then Paul says in verse 9, to do these things. Think and act, Paul says. Paul has a very, very interesting idea that if you invite somebody to go to church or you invite somebody to become a Christian, you tell them that God is going to do this in their lives, that God will save them, that God will change their lives. Paul has this interesting idea that if you are the person saying those things, then you are obligated, you hear that word? Obligated to be an example of what that looks like. Have I told y'all about getting my new tag? I don't know if I've told you that or not. When I went to get my new tag for my car, I had to get a new county thing on the back of it. And the lady asked me, she said, do you want a county sticker or do you want in God we trust? And I said, I want the county sticker. She looked at me sort of puzzled. And I said to her, when I'm driving like a maniac, I don't want God to get a bad name. And without missing the beat, Luke was standing beside me. She looked over at Luke and she said, you're driving him home, aren't you? <laughs> but you know, I'm a little weird that way. I'm a little serious about that. You know, when I'm driving down the road and the light turns yellow and instead of slamming on the brakes, I give it just a little bit more gas so maybe I can scoot through that intersection. Mm-hmm. And here I am, in God we trust. Yeah, I am. I'm trusting. I don't get... I don't see you in my blind spot and I cut you off and you start blowing the horn and I'm driving along like that and in God we trust. No, 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 no. Paul says that we are obligated. We are obligated that if we're inviting people to come to the First Baptist Church of Gray in order to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ, in order to be saved, we are obligated to live as an example of what we say we are. We are obligated. All of these things, he says, do these things. All of this is great now. And I think most, if not all of us, would love to live this kind of happy and joyful life that blesses other people. I mean, really, I think that's what we all want. And there's some mechanics here, some administration, some ways of doing this that we're going to talk about. But even though there's ways that he says to do this, there's still one last thing that we'll have to deal with. The mechanics are really simple. In verse 6, when Paul is telling us, don't worry, he says, but in everything. Now listen, y'all broke my heart over the Jaguar commercial. Hopefully y'all got this one. Samuel L. Jackson, Capital One card, and he holds the card up. Y'all with me? All? Got a nodding head. Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> that Jaguar thing killed me. He holds it up and he says, you get 1.5% cash back on everything. Say that with me. Everything, right? Paul is Paul is Samuel L. Jackson here. He's saying in everything, not just in what you think is important, but in the things that you talk to your friends about, everything that, that your friends will talk to you about, everything that you talk about when you're driving down the street by yourself. If you've seen me driving down the street, I know you think I'm half crazy because half the time I'm talking and I don't have a Bluetooth in. I'm, ta I'm talking to myself about what's coming up, what I need to do, how I need to say things. 
role-playing events. Sometimes I'm just talking through stuff. I have to hear it for my brain to register it. It's the way Randy operates. Those things that I'm driving down the road talking about, Paul says here, in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. What he's saying here is, everything you talk to God about. Everything. Don't matter what it is. Everything you talk to God about. Whatever is on your mind. You don't have to wait until it's horrible. You talk to him about everything. I like that little girl that sang this morning, Lord, in church. I think that was pretty cool. Lovely, honorable thing to think about. You know? And we take it to God in prayer. In everything. Paul is saying here, in so many words, that his remedy for worrying, his remedy for dwelling on something that's going to be horrible, his remedy for that is to dwell on good things and to take them to God and pray. And when you finish praying, pray a little bit more. And when you finish praying then, pray just a little bit more. That's his remedy. That's how he says that we become happy Christians. And then he says twice. In verse 7 he says, And the peace of God which surpasses All understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And then he says again in verse 9, what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me. See, here he is saying, you know, I'm I'm, I'm telling you you should be these things. So now I'm being your uh, example here. And all these things uh, that you've received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. The peace of God, he says, the God of peace, he says, he says, pray, pray, pray to God and God will listen to me. God will guard your hearts and guard your minds. Now, in this, the Philippians, the way he used these words, the Philippians would immediately thought about something. In Philippi, there was a huge garrison of Roman soldiers. And where they were located, this garrison of Roman soldiers, their job was to protect Philippi. And the Philippians knew that these soldiers would go to their death to protect Philippi. And if they could not protect Philippi, then nobody could protect Philippi. That's the idea behind what Paul's telling them right here. The key... The key to being a happy, rejoicing Christian, the key to being a person who lights up the room when you come into the room instead of lighting up the room when you leave the room, a person who, when your final verse is written, you will be remembered fondly by all. The key, let me me read what I said to you a minute ago one more time. The image Paul is using for these folks in Philippi is of a Roman garrison full of Roman soldiers who protected their city. The Philippians knew that those Roman soldiers would protect them to their dying breath, that if they could not protect them, then there was, <clears throat> then there was no one who could protect them until we believe, until we believe that God loves us above all else. That God isn't holding any sin against us. That God is not sitting there waiting to get us. Until we believe that Jesus Christ dying on the cross and being resurrected was done to make my spirit resurrected. Until we believe that God is indeed active in the world today, he wants to be active in my life, he will be active in my life, he is active in my life, until we believe 
like they believed that that Roman garrison would die before they would let them, anybody break through and hurt them until we believe that God is a God that protects us and loves us that much, there can be no peace. Because listen, if you believe that your God is out to get you, how can you have peace? If you believe that God's looking over your shoulder every minute to go, I'm, you're not supposed to do that. I'm mad at you now. If you believe that your God is sitting in heaven waiting and watching to pounce on you, he's not waiting and watching to pounce on you. God is sitting in heaven loving you and wanting to love you even more. You can't have peace if you believe that your protector can't protect you. You can't be free from worry if you think that your protector is there waiting to stop you every time you do something that maybe not be right. In a book I'm reading right now, the author says, have you settled in your own mind the reality of God's absolute love? Have you thought about it? Have you settled in your own mind that God loves you so much that he will never abandon you? That even when you are the, the jerkiest of the jerks, that he is right there saying, I love you. Let's figure out how to fix this. Let me show you how I'm going to grow you on the other side of this. Let me show you how I'm going to make you into the image of Jesus Christ. God is the God of love. God is the God who loves you. God is the God who did extraordinary things to show you that he loved you. He brought a man back from the dead. He sent his own son to die on a cross to walk the earth to show us what is true, to show us what it looks like to be honorable, to be just, to be pure, to be lovely, to be commendable, to have excellence. He did this so that we can know him and know how he operates, know what he wants to accomplish in the world. He did this for us. And yet, do we confess with our mouths and recite intellectually that God is all-knowing, he's all-powerful, he's everywhere, that God is love, but in our hearts we have a limit on him that says that that's not 100% true for me. Fixing this so that we're happy people, so our final verse is remembered as happy Christians is one of the most difficult and yet the most easy thing to do all at one time. Paul tells us how to fix this. Paul says, want it, pray, think, do. Four steps. Want it, pray, think, do. But in order for it to work, we have to remember what the Bible says in Hebrews 6, uh, 10, 6 and believe this. And I've used it before. I'm going to use it over and over again. Without faith, it is impossible to please him. Here's what faith is. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. You need to believe in your heart that when you go to him praying, he is going to answer it. I've seen him do it. He will do it for you. There are people in this room who will testify to you today that God has answered prayer in their lives. 
Believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. I want to be a joyful Christian. I truly want it. Then what do you do to be it? You pray, you think, you act. And then you watch the God of peace reward you. Then you will be what you want to be because that's what he wants you to be. When all is said and done, what will your verse be? On the day that a pastor stands in the pulpit and speaks about you and looks out over a congregation of people, when your poem is complete, there is nothing else to write about you. What will your verse be? How will you be remembered? And Father, we thank you so much that you've done these things for us, that you've done extraordinary things. It wasn't simple things. Jesus walked on water. I don't know how that worked. Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. I don't know how that worked. Jesus was resurrected from the tomb after he was crucified. I don't know how that worked. I don't know the mechanics behind that. I know this, that you had the power to make these things happen. And that you have the power to make those things happen in our lives. To, to bring us peace. To bring us wholeness. To work in our lives. Father, burden our minds this week as we worry. Bring to our minds the scripture that says, listen, quit worrying. Think on these other things. Put these things away. And Father, as we have trouble doing that, help us to turn to brothers and sisters and say, I don't want to worry anymore. Help me know how to do these other things and let's talk about them. Help us, Father, to be happy Christians, to be joyful Christians, knowing that every step we take is a step taken with you. We thank you, Father. We know that you love us, but help us to know that you love us. In Christ's name, amen.